The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here on this special Leadership and Entrepreneurial Series of Those Leadership brought to you by my good friends at Equity Bank. I'm so excited to have Equity Bank be the sponsor of this unique series because they have a team that knows what it takes to start, to grow, and to lead a business. It's been a privilege to have them be a part of this show. It's been exciting to watch them grow here locally in my hometown, watch them grow into one of the fastest-growing banks in the Midwest. Equity Bank is now listed on the NASDAQ exchange, and they have locations all across Kansas, as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, and Arkansas. They truly get it, folks. They, Their team, they know how to lead for growth. And so if you feel like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader, then you're going to want to check out my friends at Equity Bank because they are a bank that truly understands your needs. They understand the entrepreneur. They understand the leader. They understand what it means to grow in today's environment. Go check out Equity Bank at equitybank.com. Thanks for listening. Great conversation today with Bill Manus, the founder, the CEO of Cindio. Cindio is a Kansas-based, independently-owned human resource company. The Cindio family of companies is made up of Cindio Outsourcing, which is a full-service human resources outsourcing provider. They have Cindio Payroll Solutions, which is a full-time service payroll services provider, and Cindio Staffing, where they do or provide recruiting and staffing services for clients. And with all these options are available to any company, the branches at Cindio provide targeted solutions unique for each and every client. Now, again, Bill is run and founded by Bill Manus. He's an entrepreneur. He's dedicated. He's loyal. He's fiercely competitive. He's a great, just a great entrepreneurial story and a great leader at that too. Uh, I love his intensity and I love his humble, teachable spirit. And I think that's what makes Bill so unique and so special as a leader and as an entrepreneur. He's a high-performing bundle of energy, uh, a, a big presence of a man too, but again, don't be fooled. His heart is huge, big, large. He cares about the business. He cares about his employees. And uh, as it says in his bio, everyone who works at Cindio knows he's just a big old softie. And I can see that knowing Bill, meeting, met him a few times, and of course, sitting down and having this intimate conversation with him, uh, I can vouch for that. And you're really going to enjoy the insights that Bill provides, his authenticity, his transparency, all of that is evident in this conversation. And he's just uh, an individual that's committed to entrepreneurship and driving his business, Cindio's growth, into the future. Uh, and he's always looking forward to enjoying the ride getting there. And I really enjoyed sitting down and talking with him. And you will too. So thanks for listening. So let's join in this conversation with Bill Nanus of Cindio 
on this special leadership and entrepreneurial series brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Well, Bill, it's an honor to sit down with you and meet you. Thanks for coming on the show. Welcome. Glad to do it. Well, how did it all begin for you? You know, you got such a, a, a you're well known here in the Wichita community and, and a lot of levels from entrepreneurship and leadership wise. How did it start for you? I mean, how did you get to this point where you're with Cindio? Well, uh, it, like most entrepreneurial ventures, it starts because of, a, of in my case, getting fired. <laughs> um, and it had a lot to do at the time with my expectations of the company I worked for regarding the services we provided. My job was to get business. Their job was to take care of it. And they weren't doing a very good job. Mm. And I wasn't a young man when I started uh, Cindio. We started 16 years ago, so I was almost 44 when I started the company. And at that age, I was just old enough to not not accept poor performance from right. everybody around me. Right. Uh, so as is typical with a loud, loud clanking bell, you either give it grace or you get rid of it, and, <laughs> and they chose to get rid of me. But it was actually a good lesson because it really helped me to determine where I wanted to go with the company that was mine and the kind of services we were going to offer, which, by the way, were identical to what I was doing working for somebody else, but it was just the delivery mechanism and what the focus was of the company. And uh, so from day one, we were we were going to be a service engine because we were a service company, and we've stayed very true to that for the last 16 years. It's interesting, you know, 44 starting out, and you know, how many, I can't tell you how many times, and I can certainly say that for myself, like you learn so much from the bad examples that you had to work, you lived through, right? Those are almost right. the greatest teachers than the positive ones almost. You learn what you don't want to be more exactly. than you learn what you want to be. Yeah. But I think it was it was all the collective years of me working for other people mm-hmm. really gave me a great vision of what I wanted to be myself. Right, and got it up to that point. What was the intention when you got out of college, when you went, when, you know, from that until 44? Was that your first entrepreneurial venture? Or, I mean, what was it before? I had a small entrepreneur, entrepreneurial venture in uh the late 80s, mid to late 80s, um, it was actually a company that was started here in Wichita. It was pre-internet. Um, it was almost just very barely post-computer. Uh, but some uh, local people here, uh, the Braystead Brothers, founded a company called Morfax, which oh, was yeah. a mortgage information service. Right. And uh, a good friend and I decided to buy the rights to Atlanta, Georgia. And we ventured down there with some capital and and proceeded to fail over about a year, uh, not realizing who our customer really was. We mm. thought the customer was the consumer, and in the real estate business, the customer's really the realtor, or it was <laughs> right. back then, right. because there was no internet, there was no access to data, mm-hmm. uh, and so we had a, a, an opportunity where people could shop their mortgage uh, and actually get people bidding on their mortgage, uh, which, again, was a great concept if people knew about it, but most people get their mortgages through right. the realtor and the recommendation, so we were kind of... We were um, way before our time, so to speak, but obviously a lot of great lessons learned in sure. that on, on how to run a business, how not to run a business. And uh, and that was in the early eight, like the yeah, early 80s? Mid-80s. 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 Yeah, 86, and, 87. So yeah. after that kind of setback with that entrepreneur venture, was it all corporate from, from then on? Yeah, but I always worked for small companies. Uh, when I came back, uh, I'd, I'd been in the radio business and, and sales and came back to that again and Back then, it was you know local ownership typically, um, and then that Im- industry evolved to where it became more corporate, and that was really not good for me. Uh, I was very much a person that liked to look whoever held my future in their hands in the eye, <laughs> and I lost that ability. Mm. And 
a couple things happened and I just said, I think I need to get into something new. And that's when I discovered the industry I'm in now in right. 1997, I think. And so that set the stage, didn't see what you, you were seeing things you didn't like. You thought, man, you could do better. Uh, tried to change it internally. Said, bye, bye, Bill. You're on your own. You're starting a company, right? And what right. A better, what a better way to, man, that had, was that, take me back to that. What did you feel? Frightened, scared, enthused, excited? You know, I think I was just mad enough at those guys for not doing yeah. what they were supposed to, uh, that I thought I can do this, even though I really didn't know how to do it. I'd been in sales and marketing my whole career, and now I'm going to run a company that delivers services. And if you ask if I was going to be doing any of those, the answer would absolutely be no. But I was in an industry that had was not new. It had been around since, uh, you know, 1998, or I'm sorry, 1988, um, even earlier than that, 1978. I'm going back in time to college. But the industry was a, a little bit more mature. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that it hadn't migrated to Wichita, Kansas yet. So I was literally on an island here with no competition which can be a good and a bad thing. We had no market presence. We had no market competition, but we all had no market knowledge to go with that. Yeah. Uh, but the concept had lots of resources already fully developed, software programs, software uh, platforms, uh, people in the, in the different niche industries, uh, workers' compensation, health insurance, that already had gained many years of cumulative knowledge in how to offer products. So mm-hmm. I was tapping into a lot of that outside of Wichita to be able to create what we have today and what we had back then. So it wasn't like I was an entrepreneur starting with a brand new idea. I was just taking an idea and introducing it to a new market. Right, but still the same kind of, you know, typical pitfalls, challenges, obstacles still present themselves, right? Oh, sure, sure. And so I'm always fascinated by the kind of the internal uh, fortitude and mindset. When we talk about leadership a lot, what doesn't get talked a lot, we talk about it on the show quite a bit, but the in, kind of the internal head trash, the, the slaying of dragons, as I like to call them, that right. always present themselves. Uh, you get thrust in that foray. You have to become a dragon slayer overnight, whether you like it or not. What were some of those dragons you had to slay in the early days? I think the biggest thing for me was it was learning how to operate a business. Yeah, the, this, the, the tac- the, just the tactics of the business. The right? tactics of the business, the actual delivery of the services. Before, I could always point to somebody else as being in charge of it. Well, now right. I was in charge of it. And so I had to get a lot more immersed into the nuts and bolts of the business. Um, when you're a service delivery like we are, there are lots of facets that we cover that have, in, have th- everything to do with the employer mandate, which is payroll and benefits and work comp and HR and that plethora of government organizations that we report to. And I had to get really smart really fast on everything we were exposed to. And I think getting immersed that way um, gave me a lot more confidence on the sales side of it because now I was not just talking to people about becoming a client. I was literally talking to them about the very same things that they have to deal with in their businesses and what their frustrations are and how how do they get more time out of their day, how do they... How do they take care of their customers better? How do they take care of their employees better? And and because I was living both at the same time of talking to people about becoming a client and how our services could help them be better employers, at the same time, I'm also experiencing those things that they're frustrated with. And it was a great, quick learning curve of who do I want to be and how do I get there? Yeah. And I was surrounded with two good and 
investors that uh, believed in me from day one um, and ha- have seen a humongous return of investment on what they spent with us versus where we are today. Yeah. But I think the real benefit that they brought me was they were two guys who had been in business for many years, had been very successful, and they were great mentors for me. Wow, what a blessing to have that, you yeah. know, and to recognize it, to have the, the mentors. What are we talking about? Give me some perspective. Are we are we bootstrapping in here? You've got some investors, but how big's the team? I mean, what are we talking about? Well, I started with two other employees, me two. and two other employees. Wow. And, um, you know, just like anything, when you, when you have an idea of a boat you want to build, the first thing you have to do is build all the tools to build the boat. Yeah. And even though you're building it yourself, you got to have the tools to make it any kind of scalable. Uh, so we spent the first six months of our company building our infrastructure. And I don't mean that in people, but every form we needed, yeah, every the, little yeah, thing we needed yeah, before yeah. we could even bring on a client, right. we had to have all that in place. You had the ducks in the road. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So we spent a good amount of time and that was a great learning curve of everything we needed. Um, and then after that, you know, you just, you bootstrap it with, I got to go get a client. We started with seven clients on January 1 of 2003, which was six months after we started in July of 2002. And uh, I'm happy to say that four of those seven are still, still with, with us you. as clients and the other three are no longer in business. Yeah. So the good news is we were able to create something that has been scalable, uh, but, but it was always still with the idea being that we're going to treat every client like they're our only client. Mm-hmm. And then the scalability has to be me internally to take care of more. Right. Uh, but it was, it was a huge learning curve. In fact, I'm very fond of saying now when people ask me what I do, I, I say, well, you know, I know a lot, but I don't do very much <laughs> <laughs> because I've actually done those things before yeah. and I don't do those things anymore. Right, right. But that doesn't mean they don't get done. We have right. great team, great staff right. that uh, take care of our clients every day. Well, that's, it's always fascinating. You know, I've talked to many entrepreneurs on this show and that progression that, you know, you have to go through that. Um, and you see, you know, when you are doing everything yourself, you're bootstrapping, you're wearing a thousand hats, um, you're figuring it out, you're changing, like I say on the show, changing a tire as the car is going down the highway. Right. You have to figure it out. Um, I'm always impressed by the, again, the mindset of it, um, and the tenacity piece. Um, I've asked this, people have asked on this show, is like, what is the, the biggest takeaway of all these 400 plus conversations and the theme that overrides is that is they say it's it always goes back to tenacity and would you agree with that oh absolutely there's there's nothing that replaces hard work there's nothing that replaces uh, a commitment to what you're doing Mm -hmm. uh, and then never accepting failure even though you fail a lot never accepting that as the end game Um, everything is a numbers game no matter what we do Uh, and and having the ability to see beyond the personal toll that it takes when somebody tells you no, uh, instead to go and call on the next person and be in front of the next person so that you can find that yes. And there's just no replacing that. There just isn't. Uh, You have to go through that. Now, some people are blessed with, in in new companies, having a product or a service or something that is groundbreaking and the demand is instant and people, oh, I've been waiting for this all my life. I didn't really have that. Uh, I just had a really good base service that people needed that they didn't know they need. Mm -hmm. And for us, it was just telling the story over and over and over over again. again. Even when you didn't feel like it. Even when I didn't feel like it. And then when we would get a client, a new client, then doing everything to bring them on and get them started before we went after the next one. And I think my company's biggest transformation occurred when I actually decided to get out of the way. 
Interesting. I think the, the, the classic entrepreneurial downfall is, is that because we've built something we know so much, we think we need to be involved. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when I finally said, okay, I'm going to hire a salesperson, I'm going to train them, and then they're going to be in charge of sales, not me. And I'm going to be in charge of running the company and having the vision and, and giving my employees the resources they need to take care of our clients. It's, it's at that point is when we really started to grow. Yeah. I've said so many entrepreneurs on this show, they said the exact same thing, right? It's yeah. like, and they've, they've had, they've told stories where they've had peers and friends who didn't do that. And it wasn't sustainable anymore because you get burned out, right? At some point, yeah. you're going to peak. You just yeah. cannot do everything right. by yourself. You're going to reach a level of growth where you need to go past it. You're going to have to start becoming that transformational right. leader. And I think if you recognizing that at that right critical pivot point, right, we wouldn't be sitting there talking. Yeah. Right? It was fun to go through my own personal transformation of working in the business versus on the business sure. uh, as a CEO. Um I always had big dreams and big visions of what we could be. And of course I had to figure out how to get there. Uh, and a lot of times it was me getting out of the way of getting there. And I think that was my biggest learning curve. My hardest thing for me now, having transformed away, is there are literally, not a ton of them, but there are literally days where I come into the office, everything's buttoned up, everything I need to do, and I'm like, what do I get to do today? Yeah, right. And you know that's a really hard place sure. to be when you've always done something. Right. I can I can imagine. And right? and it took a while for me to get beyond that to start really taking that time away to then use it for my own personal growth and education mm -hmm. and learning more and being involved in on a much larger scale with things outside of my walls. Mm -hmm. um, and when I when I got to that point and started accepting my fate as the CEO, it was at that point that things really started to happen in a faster pace than they ever did when I was trying to run things on my own. And, and, and it wasn't that it was hard to let go. It really wasn't. I'm, I'm not a micromanager. And, and I, my personality profile, which being in the HR business, that's always something we consider as important, uh, is one that I like to be around people that are high performers. Yeah. And let's go do perform well together. Right. If I have to carry somebody's weight or if I have to micromanage them because they're not mm. doing their job, I, I just don't do well with that. Yeah. So I tend to recruit people and, and surround myself with people that are high performers themselves where I don't need to give you a list of things to do every day. You already know that or you're going to go find out yourself rather than me having to lay it out for you. Uh, and that's been probably the the best thing that I've had as as a uh, as a leader um, is I've had the ability to let other people have their say, do their have their voice, make a decision, and move forward. And there have been times where I've always questioned: Is my leadership style conducive to leading a larger organization? Am I the right guy for that? And I had to become the right guy for that because mm -hmm. I wasn't that way naturally. Yeah. Well, I, that's so powerful that you recognize that in yourself. But it's also critical, I think, particularly if entrepreneurs are listening to this, that you have to make that transition to leader. You have to understand the intentionality behind the leadership piece of it. Everything you said right there is classic um, – uh, leadership transformation that is critical. I think you know to, for for entrepreneurs to be successful, they have to understand leadership, right? And I think yeah. we get so wrapped up in this idea that lead that entrepreneurship because it, it's always about you know acquiring capital and the product and the marketing and all that right. sexy stuff that we equate with 
with entrepreneurship and that you're being the guy. You know, and I, I look at someone like Elon Musk, like right now, where in, in, there's an article with him today, just the freshest today, talking about how it, he's struggling with his year. And I would argue that he's struggling with the leadership aspect of his business. Yeah, I'd agree with that 100%. I mean, he's a genius. He there's is. There's no doubt there's about no that. Doubt about it. But he needs to get out of the way in a lot of things. Yeah, that's right? true. And that's the most difficult thing for an entrepreneur to Absolutely. do sometimes. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and so kudos to you for having that self-awareness. And I think probably having that background, you know, that the background in the industry and everything else and having that probably helped you realize that quicker than most maybe. Right? Well, I saw other people growing around me. Yeah. Uh, and I saw them, uh, and not necessarily in Wichita again. I, here we are 16 years later, and I'm still the only one in Wichita doing what we do. Yeah. Um, but as an industry, I saw a lot of people uh, grow faster, um, but usually at the uh, at the sake of quality business and profitability. And, you know, I had to make a determination of who we wanted to be and how were we going to get there and stay true to it, but not necessarily be so bogged down into this is who we're going to be that I wouldn't adjust you wouldn't, who we you wouldn't, were. Yeah, you wouldn't, that I wouldn't be flexible, be flexible enough to change. It, yeah. to change. And, you know, when you... I consider my biggest competition in Wichita, Kansas, and in the state of Kansas, for that matter, somewhat even in Kansas City where I have an office, my biggest competition is change. Yeah. Because we're asking small employers to get out of the business of being in the employment spectrum and so they can concentrate on running their business. Right. And that's just different. And most people somewhat are reluctant to change the way they've done things for a long time Mm -hmm. um, with this, quote, new concept of co-employment or new concept of outsourcing all of your HR to somebody else. The real fact of the matter is, is that's my competition. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. But, but for me, having done this now for 16 years and built up somewhat of a brand, uh, at least in the local market, which is who I go after. I made a very pointed decision early on that I was going to be the biggest, best HR provider in the state of Kansas, period. Mm-hmm. I turned down business all over the country. And it's basically because in order for me to be strong somewhere else, I would have to have resources somewhere else. And I would rather dedicate my resources to Kansas. Uh, one of my employees asked that question at a, at a team meeting one day. He said, why don't we open an office in Omaha or Denver or Des Moines or Oklahoma City or Tulsa? They're all close. We can service from here. I said, you know, there are 7,800 businesses in Kansas, according to the Small Business Administration, that have between 20 and 500 employees, which is our target market. We have 100 of them. Why do we need to go anywhere else to try to get business when it's right here in our backyard? And that statement was really how I felt uh, about our company. And it's, it's still evolving. Uh, we have a new partnership with uh, our accounting firm, Keiko Isom where they want to bring us their clients. So we formed a partnership. Well, their clients are much farther away than Kansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, they have half their companies in the Central Valley of California. But what they have is, that is a common thread with their client base is that their client base is small businesses mm-hmm. that are basically agricultural related. And that's exactly 
who we deal with yeah. on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. So when you're dealing with a farmer in Heston or a farmer in Illinois or a farmer in California, that's the same cloth of person. Mm-hmm. So for us, it made sense to expand our geographic footprint through them, but they drive that business. They're the ones bringing right. us the clients. So I don't, I'm not going to those markets no. to go get business. I'm just taking care of them. And so that was a really dramatic change for us that we're just now seeing the fruits of that labor come to play two years later. Well, but you couldn't have got there, I don't think, without completely understanding what it is, who you are and what you stand for. And that is missed on so many levels. Obviously from, we've seen businesses fail because of that, because you just get wrapped up. It's easy to get kind of caught up with the crowd and say, well, I'm going to grow for growth's sake, right? Because we think it's all about whatever, exponential growth. But if you, to, to have the discipline and the ability and the foresight or the awareness to turn down business because you know who you are. It's the same thing with personal growth, right? It's like, how do I know what to focus on if I don't know? If I don't know, I'm just kind of doing what people expect of me, what the culture expects of me, what society expects of me, and I'm not really putting any thought on where I want to be, who I am and what I want to become. Yeah, I think, and it gets back to the personal side as well. Uh, When you're developing your skills as a leader, I think you have to be really frank with who you are yourself. Really look in the mirror hard and say, what is it that you're good at? What is it that you're not? Uh, what kind of people do you do well with? What kind of people do you not do well with? And then go down that road. Yes, uh, which takes when, a lot of work. It, it does take a lot of work. We we utilize uh, personality testing in our company to to identify fit for us as an organization. Uh, we we look at the resume and their qualifications second. And the reason for that is we've just learned that that's so important to who we are that that's the way to do it. Yeah. And, and again, that's transformational. Most companies don't do it that way. And we're a big Pied Piper of telling other people all about it. But the fact of the matter is, is that you really have to be self-aware yeah. of who you are yeah. and where you want to go and how you're going to get there and be honest with yourself about ways to and not to do that. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest-growing banks by working side-by-side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Yeah, it's like when you ask, I can't tell you, and I'm guilty of this, and it's taken a lot of work, and even, you know, as I got into my 40s and really doing the work of, and I'm still, it's still a work in process as I'm approaching 50, but asking people, well, what is it you want to, what do you want to be? Well, I want to be successful. (laughs) What does that mean? What does success look like? And they, even that stumps them. 
and you'll get answers that are, well, I want to be at this income level, this, that. And you're like, well, and I usually, what is, what does a significant life look like? You know, then it starts to get a little right. deeper, right? And right. that's kind of what sounds like what you did with your business. I mean, you, well, you're constantly doing it. Right. right. But the fact that you did it says a lot. And I think that probably is a great indicator to your success. Because if you hadn't done it, you wouldn't, you know what I mean? You'd be accepting every, I'd and you'd run yourself ragged. And what do we stand for? What is our brand? Who are we? And all I'd that. I'd still stuff. be on the street selling if that yeah, was the right. case. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Which I love doing, by the way. I still do it occasionally just because I love doing it. But the fact of the matter is we all evolve as leaders. Um, and it's... It's our own limitations that we put on ourselves yeah. uh, that we need to let go of in order to be more successful. Mm-hmm. And and you know, at the end of the day, w- w- how do you define success? It's such a personal thing. Sure. Uh, for me, it's knowing that I've got forty four families that I take care of every day. It's yeah. knowing that there are over a hundred and twenty clients that we're helping them every day. Yeah. To to make their life better, uh, doing what we do, and. There's a lot of satisfaction in knowing that that's the kind of company we are. Yeah. Uh, and we should do more of that. And that's why our growth plan is very aggressive. But it's not aggressive from the standpoint I'm just throwing a bunch of stuff on the wall. Yeah. It's, it's a very disciplined approach to mm-hmm. if I do this and then we do that, then it's a numbers game. And pretty soon when you start adding the numbers up, if we do this for three years, here's what the numbers look like at the end of it. And then you kind of go, wow, that means we're going to triple in size in three years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's because we have everything in place today to do that. Right. Right. And I don't like talking about the future so much uh, as much about you know, growth and this is where we're going to be. I, I take a more disciplined approach of if we do this and we are successful and do what we're supposed to do, then here's the outcome of that three years from now. And it's my ability to do that and then communicate to that to my employees that brings them into the vision of it's not as hard as it looks, guys. It's this is not this is not this huge monumental task. It is literally a, just a disciplined approach to every day doing the same thing every day, and incrementally over time it all happens. And that's where organic growth to me is so much more um, lasting than acquisitions and mergers and you know all the things that are that a lot of other people do to grow is well I can't do it myself so I'll just go buy somebody it's never been something I've looked at although I've never been opposed to it it's just been our discipline of how we do it every well, day is what's sustained yeah and I love that it resonates with me I, I, I it's moving to hear you say that because it, it's it's a difference between it's kind of like you know it's just chasing shiny objects and what's expected of you because you're a quote unquote entrepreneur as opposed to really taking the time to be reflective and disciplined and intentional about why am I here and what am I try- who am I trying to serve and what are we trying to accomplish right and and what are we trying to do and constantly asking that and and improving on it it's not easy because I mean, how many of us even just who, who aren't even entrepreneurs get up and we just do it because well, I got to get a job, I got to provide, and we're not even thinking right. about why we do what we do. Right, that's interesting too because I just had a new employee starts this morning. I meet with every new employee in their first morning. They do all their initial paperwork and then they come meet with me, the very mm-hmm. first meeting, and I have the same conversation with every single employee and I talk about who we are and what our rules are and and we only have three rules in our company and. They're hard and fast. You can't break them, but that's all we have. Everything else, we just kind of figure out as we go. We have policies and procedures like everybody else, but these are rules. These are what we live by. 
And then I expanded that now to where I talk about why are we here? Why do you come to work every day? Why, mm-hmm. why go back to Simon Sinek and his start yeah. with why it was really groundbreaking for me to be able to self analyze. Why do I go to work every day? Mm-hmm. Why am I here as a company? And, uh, it, it, for us, it comes back to none of us were born with a silver spoon. We've all have to go to work. So the fact of the matter is, is that the work family, which is all day long, every day, is as important as your home family. Mm-hmm. But we go to work to take care of our family. That's, yeah. that's why we go to work, to take care of ourselves and our families. That's the ultimate why. Uh, it'd be great if we didn't have to, but most of us have to. So then beyond that, you know, why, and, and if you think of Simon's Golden Circle, that would seem to be the obvious why we go to work. Mm-hmm. And then inside of that, we'll... we'll you know, we're here to take care of our families, but in order to do so, we have to take care of our clients. And Richard Branson said, you know, if you want to have happy clients, have happy employees. And that brought my third golden circle in, which was we have to take care of each other. Yeah. So if we take care of each other, it allows us to take care of our clients, which ultimately allows us to take care of our families. I share that with every employee. I just want them to feel, and the key word is feel, like they're at home when they're yeah. at work. Yeah. And if we have that feeling, then we have a lot of people that are dedicated to what we do and come to work every day ready to solve problems because that's what we do at my company. But the fact of the matter is, is that it, we all seek fulfillment. Uh, that's, a, that's a big thing. I have four kids, three of whom are millennials and one she hasn't figured out what she is. She's a little older. She calls herself a zennial, I think, but <laughs> uh, X generation millennial. But but they're always asking the same things. You know, what, what's important? Why am I doing this? Am I going to have a bigger purpose than just going to work every day? Yeah. And that isn't necessarily everybody's grasp of fulfillment. Um, some people do very well in, in um, production facilities working for not minimum wage, but a, a steady paycheck. And that's their comfort zone. But if you want to work in an entrepreneurial organization, you, you have to have that sense of feel and sense of family in order to buy in and make the dedication to do the job well every day. And that's important for me that I communicate that on day one to those new employees so that they understand who we are and why we're here. Yeah, and I mean, well said. And I, and I think that's probably, I would argue that is your primary responsibility as the CEO. I mean, if you're not communicating that maniacally, you're, you're, it's a disservice. It, I, I woke up about six months ago and I said, you know, my only job, the only job I have every day is making sure my employees have all the resources they need to get and keep clients. Yep. That's it. That's my only job. And some days it requires me to do a lot more. Some days it requires me to think a little bigger. Some days it requires me to enact some change that's uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, the company that I am today it won't look the same three years from now when we're three times as big. And I have to be diligent to say, if we're going to be here, these are the things we have to do today to be ready for that. And that enacts change internally, which is difficult sometimes. It's very difficult in, in, in a service business to change how you've been doing things for so many years and go down a new path without sacrificing the ultimate goal of taking care of our clients. No, I mean, in, you know, that discipline consistency, I keep going back to that word, but where do you think that came from? From I mean, even go back even further, I'm curious about who your mentors, your roles, I'm curious about your, your parents. I mean, how important were they? 
<clears throat> my parents were uh, not really entrepreneurial, although they did have a couple of entrepreneurial ventures. Um, but they were they were a good mix uh, of steady and um, emotional. Yeah. And uh, my kids will tell you in my relationship with my family that my wife is the steady one on the, <laughs> emotional, the emotional baggage. Um, <clears throat> but the fact is that between my parents, um, some people I worked around in the broadcasting business in my early career uh, that showed me uh, good discipline mm-hmm. in, in uh, how they did things, and I learned some things from those. Um, I think I was a late bloomer when it came to developing into an entrepreneur. I I don't know why, but for some reason, every job I ever had, I felt like it was my company, and I had to do the best, (laughs) and I had to think about it from the company standpoint, not just me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's I don't know that there's any way to teach that, um, but I know it's something you can learn. I've learned how to do it a lot better. But having employees that feel ownership at work, whether they own the company or not, doesn't matter, but feeling the ownership of their duties and responsibilities and their contribution is probably key to having a great team to get things done on a day-to-day basis. I agree with you. And I think understanding, well, and you, you definitely get this, that recognizing that we all want to know that we're here and that we matter, right? Right. And that, that, that culture is, is obviously permeating. You're making sure that intentionality behind that is there. Um, yeah, I don't know if we can be taught that, but I think somehow it was ingrained in you. You obviously weren't genetically born with that. I don't know. I no. think it's a learned behavior. I think it's probably through examples. Um, for whatever reason, you had a desire to make the campsite better than you found it, even when you weren't, quote, unquote, an entrepreneur. Right. That came from somewhere. You know yeah, I mean? and, and some of it has to do with, A, my personality being, A, outgoing, and B, uh, very much a hunter and very much yeah. uh, work through things, figure things out, and do what it takes. But I was uh, very late knowledge that I learned that I have uh, pretty severe ADD. And it's not from a learning defic- deficiency, but more from how my brain works. Mm-hmm. Um and what's amazing is that I have this God's gift that uh, when I deal with things, I'm done with it. Interesting. And so when I go home and I, I, you know, I've had a bad day or it's been a rough day, uh, you know, I can be a little more bombastic to my wife and she will just sit there and take it and she's, tomorrow will be better. And Okay, you're right, honey. And then she'll remind me of things that I said a couple of weeks before. And I, I'm like... Did I say that? <laughs> I mean, I really yeah. have moved on. And I think that's my biggest blessing in that handling stress of, of growing companies and dealing with rejection every day for many years. And I just deal with it and move on. I, I'm yeah. done with, with the what happened before and let's go what's next. Yeah, we, yeah the building and, compartment, that is a great gift. That was always a struggle for me learning how to fly planes. Like I, I had to learn how to compartmentalize and get past what happened there. Right. You know, I would memorize and chair fly the perfect flight, and then right out of the gate, taxi, and I'd goof up the taxi, and then the rest of the flight was crap because, I, you know, I couldn't put that past me. Right. And I remember a guy sat me down, and he said, you know, that happened there. You've got five other things you've got to be thinking about right. up here, and that's 
kind of the life of an entrepreneur leader, yeah. right? It is always having a vision of forward. Yeah. You learn from your past. You learn from the mistakes. You learn from the successes. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, the base of knowledge comes to get better. But the fact is you can't live there no, anymore. No, you can't. You right. just got to be able to look in the mirror um, and, and have the ability to, to say, okay, I screwed that up. Let's fix it and move on and not do it again. But let's what's next? literally what's next and let's deal with what's next let's not deal with something that happened four months ago because that that's gone yeah and i think that's probably my greatest gift that i was born with i didn't develop that i mean it was just there it's just amazing and that's actually been probably my biggest um gift for dealing with stress because yes i can get I can get tuned up pretty good, and then when we're done, we're done. We're done. And let's, we're on to next, yeah. and, and I don't stay tuned up. I really just kind of come back down to what would most people would think would be normal. Yeah. Uh, but that, the passion that I have for the business and the passion that I have for life in general really expands upon uh, or, or is based in the fact that I just believe that everybody's got really good things in life to give. Yeah. And we have to figure out how to, to, to get that from everybody together. Yeah. And um, there was, uh, in fact, I was conducting a session with the E2E group uh, on just some business practices and, and how, do we, how do you think like an entrepreneur and how do you think like a leader. And uh, one, of the, one of the members asked a question, and I said, well, there are two ways that you can b- build trust or have trust. And one of them is, is that you have to earn it. And the other way is that you give it. Mm. And the people that require earned trust usually are the ones that have the hardest transformation moving forward because everything has to be earned. You yeah. have to earn the right to do this. I'm a give trust person. Yeah. I just trust that I'm going to, you're going to give you, I'm going to give you this task and you're going to be in charge of it and you're going to take care of it. And I hope I'm not disappointed when you don't. Yeah. Or I hope I'm not disappointed that my trust in you has been broken. Yeah. Because the fact is, you know, we live in a part of the world, at least here in the middle part of America, where pretty much we live in a give trust world. Mm-hmm. Um, and we deal with a lot of people that you have to earn their trust. Mm-hmm. And that's a different dynamic. And as a leader, I think it's much more of a blessing for me to be a give trust person than an earn trust. Because yeah. I just assume everybody's going to do the right uh. thing and always be honest and always have integrity. And I just assume everybody's like that. And I'm always disappointed when they aren't. But the fact is, is that I don't lose any sleep over earning trust. I just automatically assume it. I love that insight. You're so spot on with that. You're right. It's the whole giver's gain mentality, right? It's right. like that, that your reservoirs that we all have, the hierarchical needs, and it's the difference between I'm going to go out and seek to fill up my reservoirs or I'm not going to worry about my reservoirs. I'm just going to give even though I feel like I'm empty. And the the ironic rules of the universe is that your your buckets get full exponentially more than they would if you were trying to earn it. Right. Always. It, it always works out better if you're that way. But, damn, we surely got to remind ourselves that yeah. a lot, don't we? For some, it's natural. For others, it's work. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, for those that it's work, um, it is a very difficult thing to train yourself on, but you have to do it. You do. Uh, be, otherwise, you can't get to your full potential. You can't. You have to spot on. I yeah. love that insight. You're, you said that was beautifully well said, and I, I, I can't agree with you more. <clears throat> I think that if we – and I think that's where the conflict I've had, as I reflect back on 
all the kind of the banging my head against the walls, both entrepreneurially dealing with folks corporately. You know, it's been that it's been that conflict between those two types of personalities. The person that I was butting my head against was someone that saw the world that other way. Right. Right. You know, right. and it's like I look at people the same way you do is like you have unlimited potential and it's my job to tap into that unlimited potential. Like you already have all the tools necessary. We just need to figure out a way to reveal and let it come out right. as opposed to the other person saying, no, you don't have enough. You're full of lack. You know, it's the difference between a lacking versus abundance mindset, right? Right. It's really the difference. And it is the optimist, pessimist type Yeah, the type half full, of, half empty yeah. type thing, yeah. Of course, my son's an engineer. He would say, you know, if your glass is half full or half empty, you have the wrong size glass. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, this has just been such a fun conversation. What's next for Cindio? If I was sitting here a year from now, what, what would you hope we would be talking about? Well, our plan is that we will continue to grow organically. Uh, we're on a pace to uh, grow um, uh at, at about a 35 to 40 percent pace per year um we just found out yesterday that we were awarded the inc 5000 oh, for the second straight year Great. thank you uh it, it's really more of an affirmation of what we've been doing behind the scenes for for the last 10 years but uh, i know my employees really enjoy the public acknowledgement yeah, of you know, sure. that it's that it's happening but you know again the disciplined approach of expanding our sales force expanding our internal internal infrastructure changing some automation things that we're doing to al- allow us to grow uh, we currently service about 5500 worksite employees with our clients and we anticipate in in three to four years that that, that will be approaching 15,000 wow. uh, and that sounds like a lot and it is compared to where we are today but we're set up for it and yeah. I think that's my uh, I will be disappointed if we're not there in three to four years I, yeah. I give myself four years but I think it can actually happen in three um, I, I would be disappointed if we aren't there because that means we failed somewhere in the process of doing what we were supposed to be doing every day yeah so. well I think you know just from a, a as someone who geeks out on all this stuff, leadership, entrepreneurship, I'm really impressed with this. And I, this is a theme that I love to embrace in this show, but this combination of this humble, teachable spirit combined with, um, you know, this intensity of will. Jim Collins talks about it from mm-hmm. good to great, and that level five leadership, that is a very powerful combination, right? And it se- you, you seem to be exuding it in spades, and it's been such an honor to sit and, and chat with you. So I look forward to staying in touch and picking your brain more on this stuff I, I hope you got some value out of this conversation i have i hope uh i hope my wisdom which wisdom comes from experience and experience comes from mistakes and I, <laughs> right. i'm really wise because <laughs> right. i've made a lot of mistakes yeah, yeah. but i i hope that if there's anything i said even if it's just a nugget uh typically these are things this regurgitation of things i've been learning for the last mm-hmm. 15 or 30 years really uh is just the affirmation of what you believe in your heart. Yeah. And to me, becoming uh, a successful entrepreneur, you define yourself, um, and it has nothing to do with money, and it has everything to do with accomplishment. Yeah. And uh, if anybody listening to this has any doubts about their own abilities, uh, they need to look in the mirror and figure out how to make that happen. But the fact is, is that it, I've learned a lot in the last 30 years, and most of it has come in the school of hard knocks. Yeah. I was not a really very good student, to be <laughs> honest with you. Uh, I could get passing, I could get good grades, but I wasn't really the, the studious kind. Yeah. I had to make it 
based on my ability to communicate. Yeah. And uh, it, if anybody out there that hears this feels like that they're not being heard or that they're having self-doubt, just look in the mirror every morning and say, say to yourself, I know this is the right thing because my heart tells me so. Yeah. Great so. conversation, Bill. Thanks for okay. coming on the show. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to this special entrepreneurial and leadership series, The Dose of Leadership, brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Make sure to subscribe to Dose of Leadership where you can hear more great stories in this unique and special series. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a listen to all of my Dose of Leadership podcasts, all of my episodes, and see why Fortune, Entrepreneur, and Inc. Magazine all recommend this as a must-listen. Dose of Leadership features candid conversations with amazing guests, leading high-performing experts and organizations, large and small, all over the world. Find Dose of Leadership on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and go ahead and visit doseofleadership.com where you can find out more information about the show, myself, my speaking engagements, my keynotes, live seminars, and my mastermind events. Thanks for tuning in, and have a great day. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry, with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.